Wonderful. We're on page 969 in the Church Bibles. I'll give you just a second to grab that. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then, come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Shall we pray uh, as we come to God's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the ancient of days, that no one is above you, and that no one is before you. Uh, we pray that uh, as we come to your word, we would have uh, the right attitude, uh, that our hearts would be ready uh, to hear from you and to be changed. Uh, by you. pray that you'd help us to understand uh, what it is that you're saying uh, and to uh, live by it. In Jesus' name, amen. How should uh, a kingdom's citizens uh, live? Uh, What is it that should be their uh, foundation and that defines who they are? Uh, This weekend, uh, we've been celebrating the Queen. I kind of had to mention her, really. Uh, she has been uh, the foundation uh, to British life, hasn't she? Uh, regardless of what you might think about her, uh, she has been a part of what it means to be British uh, for the last 70 years. But what about Jesus' kingdom? 
We've been looking uh, the last few weeks uh, at this section of Matthew, uh, this first block of teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples, um, where Jesus introduces his kingdom. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. We've seen it's, it's a kind of manifesto uh, for uh, the kingdom. And we've already started to see what that kingdom is going to be like uh, and what the people who are in that kingdom are like. So we've seen that uh, life in the kingdom is worth it, that its people are blessed, happy, even when it might look like they should be otherwise. Uh, And last week, uh, we saw that uh, the kingdom people uh, embrace difference, uh, that Jesus comes to bring change, and so his people uh, don't fear being different. And so those, uh, having read through Matthew, got to this point, uh, might start to wonder, okay, but what does it look like to live in this kingdom? How should the kingdom people live? Uh, And in particular, if you were uh, a Jew reading this, uh, the question might be, how does the new kingdom uh, relate to what came before? Uh, To answer that this evening, we're going to uh, look at this in uh, three parts, uh, that Jesus came to fulfill the law, first of all. Uh, then we're going to uh, see some examples of the fulfilled law. Uh, and then we'll finish by looking uh, at what practicing the fulfilled law uh, looks like. Uh, so first off, uh, that Jesus came to fulfill the law, uh, looking at verses 17 and 18. In case you hadn't worked it out by this point, we're going to be focusing on the law this evening. Um, And at this point, it might be helpful to just take a moment to understand uh, why the law and the prophets, as Jesus calls them, uh, were so important to the Jews. So he's talking about uh, the first five books uh, of our Bible, the the Pentateuch, uh, and the prophets that come after them, uh, the books that made up uh, the Jewish Torah. Uh, The Jews in their day, in Jesus' day, they didn't have a king or queen uh, like we have Elizabeth. They hadn't had a a good king for hundreds of years. Nor did they have a a judge uh, or a prophet uh, or anyone to speak or lead to them. They were a a conquered people. Uh, And it had felt like that God had been silent for a very long time. So what they did have to define them as a people uh, were their scriptures. So God's direct commands uh, given to Moses and then expanded through the prophets, uh, the law and the prophets. Uh, And they would have uh, affected their whole lives. Even if the average citizen... uh, that the fishermen, the farmer, didn't follow every purification ritual law to the letter. The law as a whole affected what they ate. It defined their calendar. Every aspect of their life, at the market, at work, at home. And of course, there were the whole section of society, the Pharisees, a group of people who lived and breathed at the law. This was 
uh, vitally important to them. So as Matthew introduces Jesus in his gospel to a mainly Jewish audience and sets Jesus up as a new Moses, escaping out of Egypt, wandering in the desert, and now giving God's word on the mountain, the question that his readers are going to have is how does that new kingdom that Jesus is talking about relate to what has come before At some point in this country, in the next few years, we're going to get a new king, aren't we? Things will undoubtedly be different. Some in the country will want and expect wholesale change. Others are going to be keen to have continuity. Jesus' announcement in Matthew that the kingdom of heaven is near signifies a much bigger a much more important uh, start of a new era. So how does it relate to what came before? Well, Jesus is clear, isn't he? Jesus has come to fulfill what came before. Have a look at verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. See, Jesus is bringing in a new era, but it's not one that's disconnected from the old. In fact, it is the completion of what came before. I think that's the best definition that I've come, uh, that I found for, for fulfill to complete the intended purpose. Jesus isn't replacing or removing or redefining the law. He's completing its intended purpose. He's not changing anything about it. I mean, how could he? The law is the unchanging God's unchanging word. Even Jesus can't change it but he is completing its intended purpose. See, the people may have forgotten, uh, especially the Pharisees, but the law, when it was originally given, was not given as a list of rules by which Israel could become God's people. If you remember back in Exodus, uh, we looked at it uh, just over a year ago, uh, um, the law was given after they had already been rescued to restrain sin, to show their weakness, but most of all, to show the heart of God and to point to Christ. So Jesus, as he establishes this new kingdom, he's not changing any of what came before. He's the conclusion that the whole book has been leading up to, the answer to everything it has pointed to which, just briefly, is important for us uh, as we read the Old Testament, isn't it? It means that uh, we shouldn't dismiss or ignore uh, the Old Testament, uh, nor should we change or dilute it. It means that uh, when we read uh, the Old Testament, we should be looking for its intended purpose, uh, guided by how Jesus completes 
it in the New Testament. Jesus comes to fulfill the law. But what does that actually mean, to fulfill the law? I suspect that might be your question at this point. Well, helpfully, he gives us some examples of what he means. Some examples of the fulfilled law in 21 to 32. Uh, you might have spotted the, the pattern as uh, Rob read it. There are three uh, sections, uh, and there's another three next week uh, to look at. Uh, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But Jesus tells them that only in the case of unfaithfulness is divorce okay. So did you spot uh, what's going on? Murder becomes anger. Uh, adultery gets transformed into lust. Uh, and uh, open divorce uh, is limited uh, to one situation. So is uh, Jesus just making things stricter, even harder for us to keep? Uh, is that uh, the pattern? Well, not quite. Remember that Jesus is explaining how he fulfills, how he completes the intended purpose of the law. Uh, and one way of looking at that purpose of the law is that it is there to show us what God is like, to show us his heart. Remember two weeks ago, the, the turning point of the Beatitudes, the, the top of the mountain uh, that showed us its key. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And do you remember Rob said that righteousness in Matthew means being like God. So as Jesus uh, gives these examples, uh, taking the Old Testament uh, and explaining it, he's saying that what matters is not firstly what you do or do not do. What matters is that your heart is like God. And so do not murder shows us that God thinks life is important, that violence is bad. But more than that, it shows that for the righteous person, anger is just as out of place as murder is. God is love, and anger without cause is alien to him and should be to his people. So uh, do not commit adultery. It is not just about who you sleep with. It's about keeping pure thoughts as God does. And a divorce is not about filling in the right paperwork. It's about a commitment to relationships that equals God's. Now, I'm not going to go into more detail into those things now. They may raise some difficult issues for some people. Do talk to Rob or Caroline or a youth leader if that is the case. But do you see at the point, fulfilling the law is not about keeping rules. 
although Jesus did keep every rule that he was given. What matters, Jesus says, is righteousness. It's having a heart like God's. Which is why that Jesus also gives positive actions to these prohibitions. Did you see that? Do not be angry, he says, but be reconciled to your brother. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. So in place of anger, seek to be the peacemaker that we've already seen in chapter 5. Do not look at a woman lustfully, but take decisive action to remove temptation. I think that's what the imagery that he uses of gouging out an eye and cutting off a hand means. It's signifying taking drastic action, isn't it? After all, someone without an eye or without a hand can still look at someone lustfully. But rather than pursuing lust, he says to pursue, pursue purity. And I think the implication of that final example is to take marriage seriously as God takes his relationships seriously. Do you see, righteousness is not just about avoiding sin. It's about actively doing good too. Whenever we look at the Ten Commandments and the law that follows, the question always seems to come up, how do I know which ones I should keep now? Well, this is Jesus' answer. He has fulfilled, completed all of it. We are to obey him, therefore. So the sacrifices that, um, and all the rules around those that we uh, read in Leviticus, for instance, uh, their intended purpose was to show that a blood payment is needed for sin, that uh, innocent blood can make us clean. Uh, But Jesus was that once and for all sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb. Uh, And so we don't need to do that anymore. We can learn uh, lots from the sacrificial law uh, as it points us to Jesus. Uh, But the law itself has been completed on the cross. Whereas many of the commands, as the examples Jesus gives here, They become deeper when we see that they are not about simple do's and don'ts, when we see their intended purpose. They are about righteousness, about being like God. And so I don't think that we should uh, read uh, this passage and ask, um, am I uh, perfect in this way? We're going to get things wrong. Uh, The better question to ask, is this my heart in line with this? Am I seeking after uh, the things that God seeks after? Uh, so, examples of the fulfilled law. Uh, and finally, how do we practice this fulfilled law? I wonder if you're uh, feeling intimidated uh, yet by all of this. Uh, it's a high standard, isn't it? Verse 19, anyone who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same 
will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever teaches, uh, practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It seems a tall order, right? Righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. I mean, they were the ones who, who knew every word of the law off by heart, uh, who, who spent their whole lives studying it, uh, working out how to keep it, coming up with more laws to help them keep it. They were the ones that everyone knew were the righteous ones. And yeah, I think it is supposed to be an incredible demand to be completely righteous, to be completely like God. That's what it takes to please him. But also, I think it's easier than it might seem. After all, the Pharisees weren't actually righteous, were they? Not by Matthew's definition. They are not the blessed ones, the the poor in spirit, who recognize their sin and and go to God. They hungered for, for rules, to be seen to be good, to earn their acceptance, not to be like God. And so to surpass their righteousness is not to have to beat them at their game. It's to, to not have to play their game at all. It's to look to Jesus for the fulfillment of the law and to obey him. You see, just as we've seen uh, already in this chapter, Jesus is not giving us a prescription of how to get into the kingdom. This isn't a, a checklist of what it takes to get in. Now, this is a description of those who are already part of the kingdom. Those who are poor in spirit, who recognize their need for a savior and look to Jesus. They have already been brought in. And so naturally, they're going to start living more in line with this completed law that Jesus speaks of. Um, as I was reading it, maybe verse 19 uh, doesn't say what you might think it did. It, I expected verse 19 uh, to say that anyone who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will not enter the kingdom of God. But that's not what it says, is it? It's anyone who breaks or, or relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You see, keeping rules does not qualify us for the kingdom. And so getting it wrong doesn't disqualify us either. If you are one of the poor in spirit, one who is already blessed, not that that gets us off the hook, Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. It may not be following commands that qualifies us for entry, but once we are in, Jesus is our king, and his word is law. It is him we must obey 
and help others to obey. See, what is absolutely impossible outside of the kingdom, being more righteous than the Pharisees, that is imperative at once we're inside. But it's by at Jesus completing the law first, by being completely righteous, that we're able to be a part of the kingdom and to aim for this righteousness. If you're not a part of that kingdom here tonight, if, if you're looking in, exploring what Jesus has to say, here are some questions that this passage might raise. What is it that defines what is right and wrong in this world? Can I ever succeed at keeping my own standards, let alone God's? And what would a kingdom where the foundation is God, where its members are not bound to keep rules because they have to, but have his heart, what would that kind of kingdom look like? If you are a part of this kingdom, here's the takeaway. Jesus has completed the law so that we don't have to. Because we can't, we never could. But now we are in his kingdom. We are to practice and teach his commands and to be more righteous than the Pharisees, to have a heart like God's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We pray that you would give us confidence in what Jesus says, that those in the kingdom of heaven are truly blessed. But help us to live in light of knowing that Jesus has completed the law. Help us to be more righteous than even the Pharisees, because we know Jesus, we know his heart, and you are putting his heart in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tim, mm. there's a lot. Um, oh, let's start with this one. Are the least and the greatest in the kingdom of heaven both people that go to heaven? Is there a hierarchy in heaven? Great. Thanks for these questions. Um, <laughs> I knew I was going to be getting some good ones tonight. Um, so yeah, verse 19. Um, I think... Um, I think they are. Jesus does seem to be talking about um, two sets of people who, who both go to heaven um, and uh, elsewhere. Um, you know, I think we're, we're told we're, we're rewarded for what we do in this life in, in heaven, and that suggests um, some kind of hierarchy. Mm. Um, what that actually looks like, I have no idea. Mm. <laughs> um, I'd need to do some more, more thinking on that. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I think, I think in this passage there are, there are those who will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven and those who are in the kingdom of heaven, but um, what they do in this life affects um, something of what mm. they experience. 
Yeah, no, actually, but I guess they're both in heaven. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> the uh, degrees of, you know, it's still going to be good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's wonderful. Okay, so then the second half of the passage was, a, was very heavy. It was talking a lot about adultery and divorce. So um, this passage, the question is, is this passage, particularly the last part, seems very one-sided and seems to imply that women cannot help adultery. The only punishment mentioned being this of a man. Is there a reason for this? Um, yes, I think there are reasons for this. Um, uh, I think um, partly we have to, to think about uh, the context um, that this was in. Uh, it was um, a very different society for mm-hmm. uh, men and women. Um, the, uh, you know, the men had the power um, and the women were kind of expected to just go along um, with whatever happened to them. They didn't have any right to speak in a court of law um, or anything like that. Um, and so, um, you know, lots of the laws uh, tend to be directed uh, more to men. Um, there are laws directed to women as well. But um, I think, uh, yeah. And, and, of course, remember that Jesus here is, is giving us examples. Um, he's not... Um, this isn't the whole of his teaching. Um, it's not the whole of his teaching on this subject. Mm. Um, he's giving us examples to, to show us the pattern uh, of how um, when we understand the true purpose of the law, uh, it goes much deeper than it might look on the surface. Amazing. Does that at least start it does. It starts, <laughs> like, starts the ball rolling. Okay? Yeah. Um, and then um, so to bounce off, bounce off that sort of in the same category is... Um, why is marital unfaithfulness a valid reason for divorce? And why not divorce is just not okay at all? Especially if uh, we know a marriage is to mirror God's relationship with his people uh, and God never ultimately gave up on that. Basically, yeah. why is it okay? Um, great. Really good to remember that, um, yeah, marriage is, is a picture of uh, God's relationship with us. Um, it's a really helpful place to start. Um, I think uh, in marriage, we're told that... Um, and the two become one flesh, uh, and unfaithfulness um, breaks that one flesh. Mm. Um, and so I think Jesus is recognizing that um, in that case, it, it is already broken, um, and so divorce is just reflecting that reality. Uh, notice he doesn't say that you, you have to get divorced, um, which is what uh, some of the Jewish teachers at the time would have been teaching. Um, there were was, there was some debates going on uh, as to um, how you can divorce people. Um, and, yeah, some, some were saying, you know, uh, if there's unfaithfulness, you have to get divorced. Jesus is, is only permitting it. He's not prescribing it. Um, and uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? Yeah, so it, it reflects... Um, it reflects the, the reality that uh, the, the one flesh is already broken, um, and it's just acknowledging that. Um, I think Paul uh, also says um, in is it 1 Corinthians, um, when he talks about divorce, uh, that um, uh, a Christian woman who's been uh, abandoned by her non-Christian husband, that's also uh, a reason for divorce. Mm. Again, because that's reflecting the reality that the marriage is already broken um, in, uh, in a slightly different way, but uh, still a real, a real way. 
Mm. I feel like reading this passage, I actually have more questions, particularly about divorce than less. Um, So I'm going to definitely ask loads of questions. (laughs) Um, And if you have any more, then why not ask someone? There's lots of really wise people um, around after coffee. Um, And just ask one of those beast of questions Mm. that sort of people breathe in. I'm like, (gasps) and then let's think about it some more. It's good, but is that how you feel? And then should we just finish on a more practical note? How do we model and teach righteousness to a world that thinks it's unkind to tell anyone about sin? Mm, yeah, great. Um, it's hard, isn't it? Um, but I think we have to remember that we don't like being told about our sin either. Mm, um, yeah. I think uh, this comes back to a lot of what Rob uh, talked about last week, where uh, with these, these images of uh, the salt of the earth and, uh, and the light of the world, um, I think... Uh, it's, it's much easier to, to be able to have a voice when we're seen to be doing good, uh, being seen to be righteous. Uh, if, we're, if we're just coming in with, um, with no context at all and uh, telling people mm. that they're wrong, mm. uh, that's, that's never really going to work. Um, but if, if people see uh, that the way that we live is, is different, um, uh, then that gives us the opportunity to, to say why the way we live mm. is, is different. Uh, and at that point, we're more able to uh, say what it is that um, God, mm. uh, God thinks. Um, and of course, we also need to remember that um, you know, for someone who doesn't uh, call Jesus king, um, they have no reason to <laughs> mm. um, listen to what he says is right and wrong. Um, it is only once someone has acknowledged uh, Jesus as, as king that uh, they're going to want to start changing, I guess. Mm. Yeah, and I guess if we have understood the gospel, then we don't look at other people and think they're more greater sinners mm. than us. If we understand the gospel, then we understand how sinful we are. Um, so it's not about pointing the finger outward, but sort of more inward as well. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. So um, I think it's important if we're... You know, if people, if we get the chance to tell our story to um, acknowledge where we've gone wrong, um, to, uh, and how, how Jesus has, has rescued us, um, not to, to paint ourselves as mm. uh, great people, but they need to become great people yeah. in order to be saved. No, definitely. Mm. Actually, we're going to do thinking about that more because we're going to do confession now. Great. Right. Thanks, Tim. Cool. Thanks. Great.